0: You're listening to Were You Still Talking?
1: They pump out your blood and they pump in a a new batch of blood and all of it is the blood of children. All the big stars are going to be on TV now. I mean, it's just the way it's going. Your role, I think, will be played by Brad Pitt. What'd you wear? Uh, I wore my loincloth wrapped
0: around my feet. Are you going by John today? And that's absolutely true. You feel it in every cell in your body. Yeah, you can you can bend the truth and bend the visualizations no matter what your political affiliation.
1: You could have an alpaca. My a, a girlfriend's daughter recently got married, and they had llamas or alpacas at the wedding. A recording room. They recorded uh, a, a couple songs in the kitchen of Rumbo. So wait, you you um, you, you microdosed before this, right? What? Hey,
0: welcome back. This is Joel Albrecht again, and you are listening to Were You Still Talking? Today on the show, I have George Siegel. He has over 35 years of experience in television and film production. He's a former weatherman and TV reporter who covered countless stories about people who lost everything in disasters. In his current documentary film, The Last House Standing, which is mostly what we're going to talk about unless we get completely sidetracked, he explores the fact that most people think catastrophic destruction will never happen to them, and they have no idea if their insurance will actually get them whole again. We know a lot about that here in Oregon. Um, they, we've just gone through uh, two, well, it was, one, it was one big fire, but it happened in several different places. Two small towns were completely wiped out, so we understand about this. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you thank you so much for having me and, and and fire is one of the big subjects we could uh we could talk about so that's very relevant to most of the people on the west coast unfortunately.
0: Yeah, apparently it's it seems to be becoming more relevant every year. Uh, we had our worst fire season in in known history, you know, as far as mm-hmm. people have been keeping track and I think California did too. Uh who knows what the factors were there, but um it uh yeah it was devastating it was very close i live in a city where so it probably wouldn't have come this far but it was it was close enough a lot of people uh, well a whole town lot was disappeared next to me and then in ashland oregon another town was completely wiped out so yeah it's devastating it's and uh, i know a lot of the people were probably not covered in any way i mean It's it's really unfortunate. So that is that's what your film's about. I mean, how did you how did you get this idea? Where did this where did this come from?
1: Well, it started years ago when I was um, I, I just had a video production company and I was working with a gentleman who had a concrete business. And he started telling me about concrete houses and how they were the wave of the future because of how much safer they were than the traditional building so i started learning a lot about building and construction and what's safe and what's not safe in my days in tv news i would cover stories that would be about people who were victimized by disasters when you're the weatherman you go out and talk to people after a tornado or a hurricane or you're out in the storm yourself and so i had that element now then the construction side and i thought Wow, we really have no idea what we're buying when we buy a house. You know, we go look at it and we go, oh, look at the yard. The kids will love it there. Look at those granite countertops. Oh, I love the fireplace. And those are the elements that are eye candy that may make it a little more homey for you, but they don't mean that your home is going to be there after a disaster. So I think we're really thinking about the wrong things when we buy. Then I came up with the idea, okay, I want to be the last house standing if a disaster hits. You know, I want to be the third pig. That was originally what I was going to call it, the oh, third pig. Yes, but yeah. I didn't think it was as catchy. And the idea was, yeah, build the brick house, let everybody else come over to your house because you're going to be around. And so that was my thinking. And then this uh, tragedy happened in uh, Mexico Beach, Florida, with Hurricane Michael in 2018. And there was one house left standing on the beach. And I go, that is the last house standing. And I managed to get a hold of that gentleman. Um, LeBron Lackey and his, uh, his uncle, I believe, uh, owned that home. Um, and they uh, were kind enough to let us come up and do an interview and Mexico Beach was just devastated by this. I mean, it, you can see images on television, but if you're not there in person, it was like a bomb went off and blew everything up, except this house. So that was the premise of our film. How do you get to be like that house? How do you survive? Not every house will survive, but then if you can't survive, how are you prepared to handle not your house not surviving? So it just all kind of evolved. I started going after people to interview him for the film that I didn't think I'd really have a shot at. I saw Hank Ovink on 60 Minutes. He was a, um, a water ambassador for the Netherlands and uh, President Obama had brought him in after I think Hurricane Sandy mm-hmm. about rebuilding parts of New Jersey. And I kept emailing him and reaching out to him and I got him to do an interview. And then I got the FEMA director to do an interview. And then I got a professor from George Washington University. And all these people started falling together. So now we have a film with experts, scientists, victims, all talking about the problem and how we can best deal with the problem. And it's something that everybody needs to wake up and start dealing with because every year it keeps happening. I mean, it's insanity to to keep doing the same thing over and over again. And so that's where I'm hoping we can step in and make a difference.
0: This makes a lot of sense to me because at one time I had fantasies about actually building a straw bale home. And I don't know if you know about straw bale construction, but it beca- it's a bit like building out of cement because they're so packed, they can't burn. They have <laughs> incredible R value. Then you cover them with Adobe or some other material so it's kind of similar to building out of cement but it's cheaper and a lot and it weighs a lot less there was a uh, there was also people building out of tires rammed earth have you ever seen the the rammed earth technology homes uh
1: i've heard of that i've heard yeah. of, i've seen that show now That i think it's on hgtv where they're taking old railroad cars and building homes uh right. small homes out of i mean there's so many things that can be repurposed to live in ultimately you want to make sure that it's something that will survive where you're putting it. You could take one of those rail cars and put it in a flood area. It's not going to save you. You know, it's like you have to build for the area that you're going in, which means you have to have a solid understanding. So the kind of construction you're talking about, you want to find what the weak link is. And would it be the right thing to build if you're living in the woods? You know, exactly. how, how fireproof is it? I don't right. know.
0: And how much, and how much mold might get in. I mean, that uh yeah. that's a big thing too that's something we looked at when we moved to oregon it's like well that wouldn't be great construction here we bought a more traditional home i mean and, and did exactly what you said we kind of relied on the inspector to tell us whether the home was good or not um thankfully it's been pretty good it, the thing that i noticed because i do a lot of my own work The thing you notice in a house from the 60s is that it has really straight strong two by fours which you know if you go to home depot you can't get those you you literally can't buy the wood that this was made out of so it's a little more solid than some homes but yeah in an earthquake it will fall down and you know in a fire it will Mm -hmm. burn the house you went to on um in florida was it florida you were just
1: saying yeah it was mexico beach florida
0: did he build that house to sustain hurricanes because i did see a story where someone actually built his house specifically to be you know to survive uh a hurricane and
1: yeah was it that, Yeah, did. okay. And, and he had just finished it earlier that year so they didn't really get to take full advantage of it but it goes i think 28 or 30 feet into the sand with concrete beams um, concrete on the side the walls are concrete the roof has hurricane brackets fastening it on And what you can see when you're walking around the house are where other houses hit it as they were washing away during the storm, yet his house survived because of what they did. They had a breakaway deck in front. It didn't have to break away, but the staircase that went up to the house broke away like it was supposed to, so it didn't drag the rest of the house with it. And they had some damage, but there's nothing around them, literally nothing around them. So they'll have the only house there probably for three, five years, longer, because they didn't build to the current code that was there. I think at the time of the, the hurricane, the wind code was something they had been, you know, Mexico Beach was from back in the 50s and 60s. These were really old houses that just every year dodged a bullet. Well, they didn't dodge this one and it exposed their vulnerability. So the place is wiped out except his house. And, you know, I've heard some people tell me, oh, I wouldn't want to survive if I was in that situation because I wouldn't have any neighbors and I, my argument to them is why you don't because everybody else is wiped out you want to be wiped out too right yeah, that's, that's crazy I don't think that's the the argument for being more safe in the future that's saying well if my neighbors are running into the fire I'm running in too because I don't want to be the last one standing here
0: and it's probably not a real argument. I mean, if you were that guy left with his with his house, I think you'd you'd be pretty happy. I mean, you know, you would yeah. want to help your neighbors sure, but you'd be pretty happy that your house was still there. And it, you know, it's it's not like he it was on an island where there's no one left. There's, there's still civilization not far from him. Uh, that that is that's an interesting argument. I would want my house to be left. Um one thing I'm always curious about and I know it's I mean, it's not only different state to state, but city to city um why are building codes not, I mean, how do building codes get written? Do you have, did you look into that in the, in the documentary? I haven't been
1: able to see it yet because it's not out yet, right? Well, it is now. It, it is now. We're starting okay. to air on, we're, we're starting to air, well, you didn't, at the time we booked, we were just coming out. So when I sent you, when, when we were talking, um, we were in the process. Public television stations across the country are now starting to air the film. And we also have it available on our website, um, thelasthousestanding.org, where people can go on there and rent the film um, to, to see it. So that's now available. And you, you were talking about codes. There's a book in the film by, um, that we talk about. We interview a gentleman named Aris Papadopoulos, who wrote this book called Resilience, the Ultimate Sustainability. And Eris looked into all these building code things and, and issues and why these things happen. And builders as a as a group lobby to keep standards from increasing. So okay. if, if you're in a city, the builders, they don't want the code to go higher because that means they're going to have to do things differently. Right. And they're going right. to have to build more expensive homes, which may mean they sell less homes. So they have an entire lobbying group to keep that from happening. So it's, it's a city by city basis where they maybe have a wake up call. Mexico Beach now increased their wind code from... 130 miles an hour to 140 miles an hour. But if you think about it, that's insanity because what wiped them out? 175 mile an hour, category five hurricane. So even if they build to the new standard, they would have possibly been wiped out.
0: It still wouldn't work, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. So South Florida, as Eris points out in his book, South Florida has the toughest building codes in in the country in in terms of um, hurricanes. So they're 170, 175 miles an hour And when storms hit them now, they have far less damage. You know, you look at Hurricane Andrew and some of the other storms that have ravaged uh, South Florida, Mm -hmm. they're getting better at it because they took it seriously. And they said, "Okay, let's let's stop rebuilding every year. If there's a disaster, let's forward think this. And how do we stop it from happening?
0: And that's interesting when because I I constantly hear homeowners mostly, uh, you know, griping about building codes and i often remind my friends you know those building codes are there so your house doesn't burn down so a a lot of those are being put in by the fire like our fire department works really hard to make sure that at least you know people don't burn down from the building codes being so loose that it's kind of stupid and they you know they 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 want to prevent the homes from from being damaged easily i guess and the uh I'm curious, though, can you build, you know, a home to be the last home standing affordably like like for the average person, even though the average homeowner has a lot more money now than even when I bought a home? (laughs) Yeah, you know, I would say yes.
1: Yes. The answer to that question is yes, because you look at Habitat for Humanity, Mm -hmm. which we show in the film, and they're building homes that are seventy five to one hundred thousand dollar homes that in Panama city florida which is adjacent to mexico beach they survived the hurricane because they did the proper bracketing of the roof to the walls to the foundation they used thicker plywood on the roof they build those hip roofs where the wind resistance is different so that it's less likely to blow off the roof in a, in a in a hurricane and they had metal roofs on these houses so yes you can but you have to want to do it and If the builders aren't going to do it, the point of our film that we really stress is it has to start with us. It's like, if you're buying a castle, your home, that's your biggest investment. You're putting everything into it that you have. Don't just accept the fact that it's okay. Even if you have an inspector, I'm sure there's a lot of great inspectors out there, but in almost every home I've lived in, the inspector hasn't looked for the things that would have prevented my house from being destroyed. They just found maintenance issues. They found where, okay, your hot water heater works or, yeah, there's good water flow in bathroom three, your air conditioner cools to 80 degrees or 78. They don't tell me, hey, your roof has the right brackets on it that's going to keep it from blowing away. Your front door, the way it's engineered, that double door is not going to blow in if the wind is strong. Your garage is code safe. I mean, they don't look at all that stuff. So you got to bring in a different inspector and have a higher standard of what you want that house to do and how safe you want it. Cause if you're just blindly buying a house, you're gambling, you're literally rolling the dice and saying it won't happen to me. And eventually disaster finds almost every place, I think.
0: I think that that's a really good point because I've, uh, you know, I bought the house and I've had a couple of refinances. So I've seen several different inspectors and yeah, they're pretty casual. Some of them literally measured the house. You know, they measured the house, they saw that it did have a roof on it, never came inside, and and that was it. And it's like, yeah. okay, that's great by me, but, you know, if the bank ever does lose because of something was wrong with the house, that's, that's on the inspector, because they didn't really look at it. Um, it's a really good point, but I also like the point about its personal responsibility, because there's a lot more to look at at a house. I think the tough thing is is, um, you know, how do people, the, most people don't do their own work on their house, when they look at their house, it, it's a pile of wood, you know, is the carpet, can I live with that carpet is kind of the thing they think about. Mm-hmm. So it, I really appreciate you making this film and, and getting the word out there that there's a lot more to look at than that. And, you know, what can just what can people do that really don't know about building? Um, you know, what what can kind of help them to, to have a sturdier house and, and, you know, be more aware when they're buying a house.
1: Well, those DIY men and women that are, that are talented that can actually use their hands and do things. You know, I, I love it when, when people are able to do that, but mo- like you say, most of us can't do that. You know, I, I, I couldn't build a house, but I've learned enough to know what I should try to be watching for. But even when you're watching, you know, if, if you're having a builder build your house, a lot of times the house is only as good as the guy he has, the builder has been watching the workers do the work. Right. You know, right. I've been on job sites where people are eating their McDonald's lunch, and when they're done, they toss it in the wall that's going to be closed up the next day because they think it's funny. They throw the garbage out here. Oh, Now, again, not every, not every crew does that. But that's I, not,
0: my neighbor had worked on, the, my neighbor was selling their house, and they had to replace some siding. There was some fishing tackle in there. Yeah.
1: They found fishing they tackle do. They throw, in their house. Yeah, people throw the garbage out. People go to the bathroom in the house before there's a bathroom. And, and it, it's, it, it only has to happen to a few people. That's not to throw a, a tarnish to the entire industry. My point is right. somebody needs to be supervising anybody in a job mm-hmm. where, where people are working. A lot of builders that I've, I've known over the years, when they bid out the subs for a project, they'll take the lowest bid. So I know one guy who used to bid out driveways for, for pouring the concrete after the job. And he would take the, the lowest bid. Well, there were some crappy driveways that were poured. right? Because the right. lowest bid isn't always the best guy. When I had my production company, I would tell clients, I'm not going to be the lowest bid. If you want the lowest bid, I'm not going to match the lowest bid. What I'm telling you I can do, I'm doing, because this is what's going to cost. If you don't want to do that, we have to take out the second day of shooting. Maybe we do you know, this version versus that. But builders don't always do that. So the guy that says, yeah, I'll do it for this, hey, you've got the job, the pool builder, come on in. You're not the best pool builder in town, but you're giving me a deal. Now the homeowner has a crappy pool. You know, it's like it's, you you want everything to be the best. So you have to be your biggest advocate. Don't assume that they're doing everything for you because they're in a business to make money. You're in a business to live in that house, possibly for the next 15 to 30 years. Your business is more important than theirs to you. And you have to do your due diligence.
0: I think that's a fantastic point, not only for houses, but for everything. Um, I have a lot of friends in that have their own businesses that really should uh, listen to those words as well, because you, you don't want to give the lowest bid if you're doing the best work. And, you know, I, I see people doing that a lot um, that even even though they're you know, they undercut themselves. But you definitely don't want to take the lowest bid if it's your uh you know you're if you're the one hiring if you're the one looking for somebody that's not necessarily going to point to quality and especially for your home the home is stuff being done on your home is important i mean i do i have some advantage because my dad actually did build a house although i was too young to see what he did i understand how houses go together so i can kind of you know a little bit uh watch what people are doing when, when someone came to replace a window that was put in poorly, I understood what he was saying, you know? <laughs> like, I got well, what but you did.
1: But you so. can do some common sense things on a job site. You can see how clean they keep the job site. Do they clean up every day while they're doing that? Does everything seem organized? Is everything running on a schedule? Is the timing good? How, how much contact did you have with the builder so he's really transparent in telling you what he's doing and doesn't kind of just brush you off like he's doing you a favor? um, because it's your house and, and you have to be a strong advocate. And a lot of times we're afraid for that. You know, you go in and buy something you go, I don't want to piss them off. I'm just going to sit over here. Wrong attitude. You know, you don't have to be their friend. They're building a house for you and you can have a good relationship, but you have to look out for you. And that's the point of the film. There's a great line in there by, uh, Somebody says, you know, at the end of the day, we have to, you're responsible for watching your app. Nobody else is going to do it. That's true in almost anything. That is true
0: in almost everything. I mean, the idea of a clean job site. When I go to a mechanic shop, it better be clean. You know, people don't even realize that when they go to get their car worked on. If the shop's not clean, go somewhere else because it means they're not taking care of the stuff. That,
1: you know, the so same there, with the restaurant you know, there, yeah, there used to be a definitely, restaurant definitely. i was when i was in college we would go to this restaurant um i'm trying to remember the name of it and i won't say it anyway but we would go in there one or two o'clock in the morning after a party and we would just eat burgers and fries and everything well one day i went in there for lunch and i saw how filthy it was i never went back <laughs> because i go this is disgusting. Who, why are we eating here? Well, because you're, you're hung over at one o'clock in the morning and you want food. But it, 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 you wouldn't eat in a dirty restaurant if you knew it was dirty. The, as you say, with a mechanic, you go to the grocery store. If there's scraps of paper all over the place and bags that are torn, you're not going to buy groceries there. Well, right. your house is more important. That's where your family lives. That's where you're raising your children. You got to take it a lot more seriously.
0: And you're yeah, plus you're probably going to be there a long time. It's a very, it's a long-term investment. And if, I mean, what can people do? What are some of the things people can do if they've already bought a house um, and they want to make, you know, they want it to stand up for longer? I mean, I, I assume it depends on where you are, but you know, is, is there stuff you can do with the house you already bought to, to make it safer for for anything
1: yes in most cases there's some that you can't so for example i live in in florida and in tampa florida there's a path that hurricanes would take that that historically have been proven they there was a hurricane study that we talked about in our film that if the storm comes from a certain direction at a certain strength half of tampa could get wiped out i mean it literally because of the bay and the proximity we could be completely wiped out by a major storm well we had a small tropical storm that hit us at the end of the season this year, following that exact same path, but it was, wasn't even a hurricane. And there were a lot of homes that were flooded by it because they're at sea level. And now the flood elevation in, in neighborhoods around here is 10 feet. They say, that's what you want to be built to. So if you have a house that's a built at sea level, short of jacking it up, I don't know how you make that waterproof. There's probably some kind of expensive ways, but those people every year are rolling the dice that, that nothing's going to happen but you can still see if your windows are up to code, how safe are your windows. You can see in your attic, you get an inspector to go up there and see how it's bracketed to the house. There's something that uh, uh, Joel May, a gentleman um, with BASF who was in our film, talked about closed cell spray foam in your attic that can create an envelope and make your attic waterproof. So if rain damages your roof, it doesn't cascade down into your house. You know, if the roof goes, your whole house goes. If you live in a fire area, how much brush is around your house? Can you get, you can buy a paint that's fireproof and paint your house with it. You can get a spray foam kit that you spray your house down with foam if a fire is coming. Um, Are the vents in your house? Make sure embers can't get in. You know, where are the vulnerabilities? Where are the openings? But you want to get a professional to assess that for you. It might cost you, you know, anywhere from 150 bucks, three or 400 bucks, but think about that compared to what happens to people. When that house actually burns down, you know, you have a deductible Then you have to go through the hassle of finding a place to live. You have to replace all the belongings you have. The cost of being proactive is a lot less expensive than the cost of being reactive. So, but people don't want to do that. You know, you go, I don't want to spend $150 to have an inspection. I'd rather go out to a nice dinner and, and a movie. Maybe we're not going to movies now, bad example. Maybe we're ordering takeouts. The point is <laughs> Yes. <laughs> the point is they want to spend their money differently. And I understand that. Yeah. But the money you spend on making your house safer might be the best investment you ever make. Because we all spend a fortune remodeling every year. I think it's a multi billion dollar industry of remodeling your house. Put that money into making sure your house is still gonna be there. I think that's pretty important
0: that makes a lot of sense to me a whole lot of sense um yeah and it, it is i know it's tough for some people that that are living on the edge you know but it, if if you want to save your house rather than have it burned to the ground um or or even burn up because you know houses kind of on the edge of forest fires are probably much more likely to be saved the, when a when a fire burns through a town at the temperatures that the fires were here I don't know if any of those things would have helped. They might, you know, you, you always see these houses that are still there. That's a weird thing about fire. Fi, um, fire is a very strange animal because you'll you'll see the completely flattened area and there's a house still there. So mm-hmm. some of that is just happenstance. But I'm sure that any of those things might improve the possibility of of that um, of that still working. Those are really, really good ideas. Be proactive, not retroactive. And especially because uh, I think most people are underinsured. That's something uh, I saw you talk about also in, in the uh, documentary. That
1: Absolutely. Uh, Malibu, California is a great example. Well, we'll talk about the two extremes. Paradise, California in 2018, the whole town burned down. And when you read, I read an interesting article about that after the fact, about how there was only two ways to get in and out of town, so there wasn't a lot of access. Houses were in the woods people really wanted to live in the woods and if you look at the whole structure of that it was a risk that people were taking but something inevitably was bound to happen and it's tragic their lives the the loss of life and everything is just heartbreaking in Malibu California where it's a little more spread out when the fire hit that we covered the Woolsey fire there were some houses that the fire department the local fire department had to go other places to fight fires so the firefighters that all came in to that area, weren't even from that area. So they didn't know the neighborhood. There were some houses they just let burn down because they would, weren't sent in to fight the flames. They were down at Nobu eating sushi. Literally, this is true, they were doing that because the, the power was out and they had to get rid of the fish. It wasn't the firefighters fault. You know, Somebody told them not to go do that. Mm-hmm. Those guys are heroic and do a, a terrific job, but people were upset that their houses were, said, well, we're gonna let that one go. We, we can't save that one. And those people lost everything. And the, the cost of losing everything is in a place like Malibu, because the building code has evolved over the years, they don't let you just come back and rebuild a different house and get a permit right away. The only way you can get a permit immediately or quickly is to follow the footprint of the house that was there, which may have been from 30 or 40 years ago. Plus, when people built those houses 30 or 40 years ago, they might have had it paid off So they don't insure it the same way that they would have a brand new house. Then if you don't have a mortgage because your house is paid off and you go to your insurance company, the mayor of Malibu at the time, this is a, a, we didn't put this story in the film, but it's disgusting. He went in to file his claim to get his his money. And the insurance company said, you're going to have to take us to court to get paid. He got a court date two years down the road. His house was completely wiped out by fire, but because he didn't have a mortgage, there was no mortgage company to fight the insurance company. So the insurance company just said, out oh, of hell with you, come get your money. Now, when they go to court two years from now, they're going to pay it. Do you think an insurance company in front of a jury has a chance? Not a chance. The homeowner. No. Not a chance. That's, that's And it's the Five mayor, minutes, they'll be Yeah. That's, so, that's, but, the, mean, but this guy's screwed for two years now, yeah, waiting mean, for that.
0: And I'm so shocked that an insurance company would treat someone that way. I know it is okay, shocking i'm, if, I'm not shocked uh that's terrible that's a, that's an yeah. absolutely terrible story and it's strange because it's another it's another sort of example of why paying off your home is not always the best policy i mean i've heard other reasons for not paying off your home because the interest usually on your home is far less than interest on that you can do get with your money so it, it, that's interesting that having a mortgage in that case actually would have protected him more because there would have been someone to back him up. But it doesn't make up for the fact that the insurance company, um, that, I mean, that's just terrible. They, well,
1: in most cases, they, the big guy can bully the little guy. I had a company right, years ago right. where we had a logo for our company that looked nothing like Best Buy's logo. Nothing like it. You, you wouldn't even, if you put them next to each other, they were not related in any way, but Best Buy didn't like our logo and they sent us a letter saying we had to stop using it or they would sue us. We had 30 days to change our logo. So I called the top lawyer in town and said, this is complete BS, let's fight this. And he goes, you'll win, but you won't be able to afford to win. Best Buy will just bury you because they're the big company and you're the little guy. So unless unless you have something behind you that can square up the fight, you have no chance. And sometimes you just have to walk away. Insurance companies are known to do that. It was years ago, Travelers Insurance just had this period where they denied every claim that people made. That was the policy because they knew a percentage of people wouldn't file the claim again. And, you know, I'm sure there's good insurance companies that I don't know. I'm not a fan of the industry, uh, but you're at the, you're at the whim of them paying you. You have to prove everything you have and justify, did you actually have those items? I mean, they're in business to make money. And I, I heard a story that in Florida, with all the hurricanes they had a few years ago, the insurance industry still came out making money that year. So
0: this is always amazing to me, too, because I do hear whenever there's a huge disaster, the you hear the insurance companies really whining and in some cases asking for bailouts they don't just make money. They make money like cigarette companies. I mean, you know, they make money almost like uh, social media companies, but not, not that big, but you know, they do really well. And uh, yeah, it's, it's absolute tragic when they say, because they're, the rates they're charging are far more than what's needed for, you know, to pay off their payoffs. Their, their payoffs are teeny. They're minuscule compared to the, the amount, that's why they, try to be so big that's why the bigger ones want to be big. We're with a smaller insurance company that has been actually saved us money by calling me up and saying uh, oh we can adjust your insurance every couple of years. So I I've, I've been really amazed, but it's a special insurance company for teachers. So they're in a whole different bracket. They started out as a nonprofit, now they're a for-profit, but um, you know, so many large companies. I mean, I've been uh, I got a check for an insurance company. I think it was Farmers Insurance. Like five years after a car accident, they finally figured out that it, it was you know it was ridiculous, and it wasn't a big check. Yeah. It wasn't helping with the problem at the time, but yeah, they will. Uh, their policy. There's a movie called Thank You for Smoking where they talk a lot about how insurance works.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and you know it it's 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 okay to be critical. And I'm sure there's good ones and there's ones that have helped people and there's going to be great success stories in, right. in anything. Yeah. But the overall experience is generally not a positive one.
0: Yeah, because I have known people that have been paid out immediately after losing their house, like paid out very quickly. So it, it does. It depends on, on the company. And I mean, one, one thing that's tragic is that I, um, I know in this area, a lot of people that lost their homes, they don't necessarily know where to go. Um, you know, if they didn't have insurance, FEMA probably would have been able to help them, but they don't necessarily know how to contact FEMA, and they don't necessarily know how to contact their insurance company. So that, that seems like a problem, too. That's definitely a problem I've heard of on a personal level, is people don't necessarily know where to get help, and that makes it really hard.
1: Yeah, well, FEMA gets a bad rap. I mean, sometimes it's, it's possibly deserved. I can't speak to every instance where there's a problem. But people think that FEMA is their, going to be their savior, that that's going to rebuild their house. And that's not what their role is, as, as Brock Long told us in the film. You know, they're a bridge They're to help you for a few weeks get on your feet. They're they're not the resource. And people, you know, you live on a creek and your house floods and you turn to FEMA and go, you're not doing anything for me. But then you want to rebuild in that exact same spot. And it's like, eventually, there's personal responsibility, I think, is something that has to be big for everybody. And one of the things we learn most from the film, when you put yourself in a position where you now need somebody else to save you, you've lost. You're, the game's over, pretty much over, because it's out of your control. You know, when the, the hurricane hits and your house is badly damaged, your neighbors might be great. The first responders are great. There's a, new, there's a web of people that come together to help you. And then all the people like, if you've ever turned a light on in New York City at night and shined it into a corner, all the rats and cockroaches, those are the people (laughs) that come out to prey on the victims of a disaster. And they'll drive by with a tarp and say, I can cover your roof for you, but it'll be $5,000. Or sign your insurance over to me and I can fix it and they rip you off. Um, So once you're vulnerable and damaged, anybody looks like a hero, but they're not always there to help you. And so that makes it more important to not end up in that position because then you're living the life of a victim and those people have horrible stories to tell. The people in Panama City and Mexico Beach that we met are gonna go through years of, of horrible situations and it, it, your heart breaks for them. And also the media leaves after the storm, they're there. Jim Cantore is there when the hurricane hits, but he's not gonna rebuild your house. You know, right. The the, the next big news story, uh, all the major news outlets are going to go to the next story. And then you're not even a follow up for months on end. You're still looking for a place to live. You don't have a job anymore because the store you worked at burned down or blew down and your life is completely turned upside down.
0: That's what I, I've always thought about, and I mean, you know this for, on a personal level. That's what I always thought would be really tough um, about doing those kind of stories. Obviously, it turned you around and you decided to to actually make a movie about that delves further into it. But it's got to be really hard uh, as a newscaster emotionally, just picking up and saying, okay, next.
1: You know, it, It's very hard to do. Yeah. It, it is very hard because they're looking at you because they're looking at anybody that can help them and they want you to tell their story. Mm -hmm. And you can somewhat do that in news when you're a filmmaker and and I'm in Mexico beach. And I see these people want us to tell their story and they want help, but the film might not come out for two years. And there's only so much you can do. And it's very tough emotionally, but no matter how tough it is for us, you think about, okay, but how tough is it for them? And it's a million times worse. You know, I got to go home to my house. They're living in a tent you know, it's it's it. it, it it's, uh, sometimes it's easy to feel sorry for ourselves, and then you go, "Well, I don't have it so bad." Uh, there's a lot of people that have it worse. It's just, it is emotionally it is very draining to um, because you want to be able to help and you can't.
0: Yeah, that's got to be hard. I've always I've always thought that job would be incredibly difficult. Um, yeah, always thought that. And on that note, I actually have friends working on documentaries and and i was wondering some technical stuff like did you did you have um how many people did you have did you have a writer work that wrote it uh as you went or or when you were done and that's kind of a one of the main questions i have how did you handle the putting together the documentary you know once you decide when we're done getting getting the stories then then uh you actually have a lot of experience because you're a producer, and, and um, you've produced and directed before. So did you, uh, did you have a, a writer, or did you write it, or who took on that chore?
1: Well, you know how when you go to a big film at the end and you see five minutes of credits? Yeah, yeah. We, we don't have five minutes of credits. We had a very small staff. You know, we had, um, uh, I had a really good editor, Andy Smith, a really good videographer, Michael Lukaszewski. Um, a, a composer, Kate Diaz, all these people. We had a small group of people, four or five people. I was the writer, I was the producer. We had executive producers, uh, Jill and John Chalcy and Christopher Marino, who helped finance the film and, and, and do the back, you know, the back stuff that, that made it possible for us to work. But mm-hmm. it's a very small crew and that makes it take longer to get it done. It's hard to, to, to manage everything. So the way I work is I kind of had the story in my head and then I'm, log- I'm I send the trans the interviews out to get them transcribed, and then I read over what the sound bites were and put a script together. And it, it's a process, but it's a very I enjoy it. It's it, it. It would be great though to have 20 more people. It would be great to have field producers and a sound guy and a lighting guy and a craft services guy and somebody to do your travel arrangements and all those things that a small crew can't do. But when you look at all the documentaries that are out there, there's a lot of small crews that that tell some really powerful stories. It just takes time. It takes some money. And then hopefully you're able to get your story out there.
0: Yeah, these guys, the people I'm uh, the friends of mine, they both of them have been on my podcast. They are a very small crew, but they they've been around the world filming this documentary and putting it together. And they're now trying to to. You know, kind of figure out um the story, I guess, the story of it, because um, it it's been very loose at this point. So I, I just always thought that was a pretty big challenge. But it sounds like you had it going in more. Okay. You had an outline of a story in your in your head.
1: Yeah, and you really can't pre-write it because right. if you do, I mean, I've watched a lot of documentaries, and when it's over, you can know that a Republican did it or a Democrat did it, and what their agenda might have been, and what they were trying to get you to think. I try to approach this from a way, you know, you and I were talking before the the podcast from a non-political way. Mm -hmm. I don't care what your political affiliation is. You're a homeowner. Let's all have a, let's have the homeowner party or the renters party. That's the group we want to be with. And let's do everything we can to make that group as powerful or as strong as possible in what they do. So I don't give you my opinion in the film. I, I have opinions about builders and insurance companies and, and what's good and what's bad, but my opinion doesn't matter. It's what, what is your house doing and how can your house be safer? And that's how we approached it. So it's a little different than trying to get a point across. My point was that when the film's over, you take a better look at what you have and how you can protect it. If we accomplish that, which, which I kind of feel like we did now, I just have to get it in front of people. um, That's where the reward would come in of, of knowing you did something that that made a difference like that. But it's, it, it, it there's always challenges in, in every project
0: yeah but that uh, i really like that approach especially with this this subject because like you say everyone owns a home so you know trying to not trying to be as neutral as possible i think is really important and a really really good way to approach it um you know i when i watched the tiger king i got done watching it and i thought well that that could none of that could be true i have like it was very obvious that they wrote it in a certain way so you 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 got a, opinions about people and it was like well, i have no idea and you can manipul- about those people you,
1: you can manipulate a documentary there was a, a, yeah. a story a few years ago where uh, a former uh, newswoman uh, host was interviewing a guy from the cigarette industry and i think the way they manipulated it was they asked him a question and then they edited in time for him to answer the question, which made him look like a real asshole. Now, he had taped that and he actually answered her right away. He immediately had the answer to the question. Um, so you can manipulate a story along the way any way you want. You know, I remember on The Apprentice, the way they used to have the, the overweight guy in the, in the meeting and they'd have him look like he was always looking over at the donut you know, or the, the, oh, woman okay. who, yeah, yeah. the woman who was always getting in arguments and they would always make sure to get her making a face that looked like she was angry. You know, it's the way that they edit it. You can make people think anything you want about anybody in your, in your production. Right. By right. the story you tell, you know, so it's an important job. You, you feel a certain responsibility when you're, when you're telling that story. And I didn't want to have any of that in, in this film because it's not relevant. You know, even if we made builders look bad or homeowners look dumb or whatever, how does that fix the problem? It really doesn't do anything for the problem. Maybe I could just sit there and laugh at it myself. I don't, I don't need that. I can, I'm a, I can find other things to laugh about. So I really just tried to stick to this is the story. This is the problem. And this is the solution. And, and hopefully that's what we did. Um, that, I guess we'll see. But that's what I'm confident that we accomplished
0: and that's that's awesome i mean that that's uh that's what people like about podcasts is that you you don't at least for me i don't edit my podcast so whatever we're talking about and however long my pause is while i try and remember someone's name it goes in there <laughs> it yeah goes in there It you know it's it's unfiltered unfiltered i hope to go live soon it'll be even more unfiltered but yeah i really appreciate you your your idea of being neutral and you making the film its just it's uh it's amazing to me there are i'm just looking at a couple of more questions here oh we didn't talk about small business owners um because that's a big part of any disaster too and um like what did you find out what did you find about that in in disaster areas because they seem to be left a lot of
1: times they seem to be left out in the cold bad pun um it, it all kind of ties together. I think we, we didn't specifically approach it from, from their perspective because a lot of the people whose homes are wiped out are the business owners. And so right. the ripple effect of a disaster, take Mexico beach, for example, you might be working. There was a, a couple of bed and breakfast hotels that were wiped out. Well, they had waiters and waitresses and staff that maybe lived a, They didn't live on the beach. They might've lived a couple miles inland. Those people were wiped out. They no longer have jobs in, um, in Mexico Beach, all the businesses, all the, the grocery store, the bank, the, um, the, the local businesses, all gone because their business was wiped out. So they need to have the same uh, safety concerns that, that a homeowner does. And, and so they end up with the same problems. But the business might not even have people to come to work if everybody around there no longer has a home and no longer has, you know, they might have to move 50 miles away. The, everything changes when that core of where you are and where you're living is disrupted, that I think then goes over and, and affects the businesses. But we did not approach the film from a, a standpoint of saying, how can a business be safer? I think you could apply a lot of the same principles, but a lot of times as a business, if you're a smaller business, you may be renting office space or leasing space. It's not your building. So right, right. Now, now it's the owner of the building who had a building that was made out of cardboard and, and, and blew away. And now you're screwed that way. So if you're if you're officing someplace, you need to know what the quality of that building is and how safe it is. Don't just assume it's a good deal on your rent. Um, They're building apartment buildings down the street from where I live on the water in Tampa, Florida, a bullseye for hurricanes. And they're building it out of wood. So now people that are renting apartments are going to move in there and they're living in a, a matchbox. So, you know, it's not just homeowners. It's also renters and business people the same principles really apply but a lot of times when you're in an office as i say or or a company you're not you you can't control what what they didn't do right or might not and, have known about
0: and that's another point that i think people miss too um i know insurance is not the the ultimate answer but if you're renting it's a really good idea to get renters insurance you know really mm-hmm. think about it cuz i know a lot of people were renting in the houses that were burned down The ones that had insurance came out a lot better, a whole lot better. So it's really, I never had, and I say this, never having had renter's insurance when I rented for a long, long time. I rented most of my life. This is my first house. so. um, But it's really, really important because uh, places that we don't think are disaster areas can be. Uh, and especially and any, I mean, I learned from the people across my street that at any time, your husband could burn down your, I mean, your house could burn down. It could be uh, a disaster can happen, whether you think you're in a disaster zone or not. We, um, all houses are flammable, which is another question I had. you We talked a little bit about different building materials. And I've thought for years now, um, it's been about 20 years since I've looked at alternative building materials i mean I st- it's still kind of a an interest of mine it seems like the vast majority of houses are built out of wood and mm-hmm. uh, you know i wonder what the the logic of that is or the sanity of that is because oh it doesn't seem like other than it's cheap i know the wood is still the cheapest material or at least that's what the the lumber industry wants you to think i'm not sure it is anymore what did you find out about you know different ways to build houses that are maybe the same or less.
1: Yeah. And it, and what's interesting is wood probably is the most affordable way. So a builder has a template to build the most affordable house. What's, what's interesting around where I live is you see houses that are first and second floor concrete. And then you see houses that are first floor concrete, second floor wood, mm-hmm. which, which is nowhere near as, as safe and as sturdy. And then you see some houses that are built just built completely out of wood because it's a, a money issue. Um, so wood, you know, and, and, and also in uh, the book I was talking about that Eris Papadopoulos wrote, he was telling me how two by fours aren't even two by four anymore. You know, it's a, and you mentioned that this wood is, it's, it's not as, it's not what it used to be. Yeah. So, you know, concrete is probably one of the safest. There are alternative things too. There's, um, you know, there's forms that people are using, concrete forms that they're mm-hmm. using to build houses. Um, there's a lot of different ways to do it. In, if you have a wood house, we had a mitigation expert, fire mitigation expert in our film who talked about all the ways you can make your house more fireproof. Um, so there's, there's this gel system that he shows that you just spray the house with this gel and it literally has stopped a lot of houses from burning down. Um, maybe that has no chance of working in paradise. You know, in, we, we, um, one of the women we interviewed in Malibu, her and her husband, whose house was completely destroyed, they had four fireproof proof safes that melted whoa the fire. And they had a pizza wow. oven that they had imported from Italy in the backyard. The pizza oven survived. And the woman, Mrs. Carradine, said um, she wished she had put her jewelry in the pizza oven and it
0: right. would have
1: survived because right. the fireproof safes did not. Um, and their house was wood
0: it's interesting because i've looked into getting a safe for different things and um they tell you right on the safe the temperatures and i knew the temperatures of the paradise fire and the temperature and it's like so most of these are useless and they're cheap you know they're cheap uh safe safes nowadays are very inexpensive so if you're going to buy a safe for your house make sure it has uh just get the one with the highest temperature rating because and some of them don't even say fire
1: if you, and it might not be good enough, even if you yeah. have that.
0: Yeah, it's true. And, even that,
1: at that. But I yeah, and that's ultimately know. one of the that's one of the takeaways in the film is, that, OK, there's some things you're not going to defeat. If right. Uh, right. a gentleman we interviewed, Roy Wright, um, an insurance expert, talks about how if a, if a category five hurricane or EF5 tornado hits you bullseye square on. It's just a really bad day for you. It's tragic. That's where you need to have insurance that's where you need to do have had an evacuation plan so you there's different steps of being ready that you have to think about there's first how can i be as safe as possible but if something does happen how do i recover from that as fast as possible so there's multiple multiple layers to what you have to think about because it's not as simple as just saying um houston is a great example of hurricane harvey if you live in an area that doesn't have historical flooding, flood insurance is not very expensive. It, it, it might only be three or $400 a year. Um, if you live in a flood area, it might be thousands of dollars a year because they know they might have to pay you. Well, all the people that got wiped out by Hurricane Harvey with flood damage could have gotten an insurance policy for next to nothing. But they didn't think about it because they hadn't had flooding there. Brock Long told us if you live in a place where it rains, your house can flood. Think about that. So maybe it's something that's worth having. But what happens is you go three or four years and you don't have a flood. And they go, ah, let's not spend that $300 on flood insurance. We can, uh, we can take a couple nights out in uh, Vegas or something. And then the flood hits. You know, you, you almost have to look at his insurance as I'm not going to get mad if I don't need it. I'm going to be glad I didn't need it. And don't take it off of your property because you've had a few good years. Disaster eventually finds almost everywhere in some way. And it's how ready you are that can make the difference between losing everything or, or surviving it.
0: That's a really good point. We've uh, we've avoided flood insurance um, and it's not that expensive. It's just that where we are, it's hard to think of how how it could flood, but it probably could. We get a lot of water. We're a long ways from a river, but that doesn't mean uh, water can't come down from a hill or come, come down from other places. Um, and the other thing now in Oregon, I don't know if you know this or not, um, the earthquake insurance has skyrocketed mm-hmm. because they know that there's a really big earthquake, you know, on the horizon. They they keep, I mean, anytime within tomorrow in a thousand years, there's going to be a really big earthquake. So. It's gone way up. I was kind of shocked. That added like, I think it was like $1,000 to the policy or something. It was, it was a lot. So, and it hurts to pay
1: uh, that. It, yeah. It, it, but, it, but it's something you, 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 you need to have if you live out there. We talk about earthquakes in the film and uh, we talked to a, an, an engineer, Kit Miyamoto, who said, uh, he used Japan as an example how they build to avoid these disasters. He said if, it, when the major er- earthquake hits the West Coast, uh, LA or San Francisco, half of the buildings won't be inhabitable after that because they're built without thinking about that. They're saying, "Well, I, I, the cost of doing that might be worth, might be more than hoping the building survives 20 or 30 years and then we have to build it again." So they're looking at the bottom line for the building, not all the people in the building, and and that's crazy if you're the one living in that building. You know, they should be using those methods of construction that have, give you a better chance of surviving an earthquake. Just to say, hey, you'll live, but your building is un- uninhabitable is, is I think throwing away an opportunity. Let's build a building that, that we can move back into afterwards that will survive. It's, the technology exists to do it, but he said people don't want to pay the money. He thinks it's insane. He says it in the movie, he goes, it's insane that they're not using this technology to build better homes and buildings in earthquake areas.
0: But yeah, it's especially insane when they've had earthquakes. I mean, it, it's recently. You know, I lived through an earthquake in in uh, in California. I was in the Northridge quake. Um, luckily, it was a rental. Even more luckily, um, our house was fairly unaffected. Um, we ran through glass and didn't know it, but we, you know, it, we we were uninjured. And uh, but lots of houses around us crumbled. A hospital completely crumbled to the ground. And I know they changed the building codes right after that happened. They made them. They made them better, but not enough, I'm sure, because they were, you know, there's still pressure from builders and all kinds of different people to to make to, you know, still not make it as good as it could be. And a lot of earthquake stuff is very simple. Our I was so shocked because um I thought everyone did this. We realized after the earthquake that our rental didn't even have a flexible hot water heater hose wow and we realized that because it snapped it's the only day yeah. that was the major damage the The hot water heater hose snapped and i thought what i mean i didn't i just didn't think anyone in california would be that that lax about it um luckily the entire hot water heater didn't explode but yeah it, it's simple stuff i mean some of it is very simple strapping a hot water heater and putting a flexible hose on it is um you know it costs almost nothing, and there's a lot of retrofits. You retrofits, and even and especially even cheaper when you're building a house to make it more earthquake proof. So I'm kind of shocked. Absolutely,
1: yeah. And you're right. You know, I was in San Francisco um, at the World Series in the '89 earthquake, and I've never. I, I thought we were going to die in the stadium. It was shaking so bad, but the hotel we were staying at, all the the it was the Amfac Hotel near the airport. All the floors collapsed down about two feet. So it kind of pancaked down. And the fire department let us run in because we were on the ground floor and let us run in and grab our bags to, to get out. And then I think they ended up having to tear the hotel down. Freeways pancaked. I mean, earthquakes scare the, the heck out of me because you don't see them coming like a hurricane. You have, you know, you have three or four days. I mean, it may turn and get you, but you know, a hurricane is out there of some sort earthquakes you're just lying in bed in the middle of the night and they always seem to happen in the middle of the night um except at the, the, world, you're at series. the world
0: series yeah because yeah. <laughs> i was i was lying in my bed and it was like a train was coming through i was in, in yeah. uh, mission Hills, so i was right next to northridge <laughs> it, it, it literally sounded like there was a train coming through the bedroom and uh, yeah that was that was nuts um no There's more something. pet tarantulas I, <laughs> I had a pet tarantula at the time
1: nice I'm glad I don't live next to you I could do it but it was
0: on the floor so I had to scoop it back in its little cage (laughs) yeah that that's uh, that one's nuts earthquakes are really scary and it, it fires I mean the fire that happened here was almost that fast like it was it wasn't very close to the the Blue River the town that it burned down it wasn't very close to that and all of a sudden, within a few hours, it burned through it. it just, and it just—and that's the story you know, that people had in out.
1: Malibu. They, were, they watched it for a few days, and they didn't think it was coming towards them. And then the wind shifts. Fire is a very scary thing. And that's why there's a lot of steps people can do to prepare to be in the best position if a fire hits. Um, but, you know, sometimes there's nothing you can do. And, and, and that's where um, one of the women in our film talks about having a go box. So right. you right. have a list of things in that box that you say, OK, if, if I have to evacuate, if I came up to you right now and I said, Joel, you've got five minutes to get everything out of your studio because you're going to lose everything. You'd spend four minutes thinking what you want to get. Actually, um, now you, that
0: this now that that happened, <laughs> we we got pretty prepared. I would close the laptop and go. I would.
1: <laughs> yeah. But if you have that list, you could say get yeah. grandma's cookbook, get my right. yearbook from high school. And you're more prepared if you have to run in a hurry because those things you can't replace. Even if you have insurance, the family heirlooms aren't coming back. Uh, you know, the guy, the, the gentleman we interviewed in Malibu, who's he had an old Mercedes and a, and a vintage car in his garage, and he didn't have oh. insurance on him because he wasn't using them. Completely melted down. Oh no! You always insure yeah.
0: your old cars. I'm I'm a car buff, so that that's uh that's a that's tragic. That's a
1: big one. Yeah. And, it I, it so is. it's
0: not like Ozark? You don't just need cash and a couple of guns?
1: <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> but, you know, you better be the guy with the guns was, and then be a really I good was, shot.
0: I always thought it was a bag of cash and some guns. That's always the go bag on TV. But then, yeah, you realize the reality of it is much different because we were looking around here. Even as far away as we were, it, we were enveloped with smoke so we could barely breathe. And we were definitely looking around our home. I took pictures of everything in the home, which is what they were recommending. That's another thing, uh, if anyone's still listening to this podcast, just take pictures of everything in your house. Because if something happens, that, it, that helps the insurance company. And many different insurance
1: companies recommended that after the fires, after it happened. And, and it's more than that though. Don't just take the pictures and leave them on your phone, upload them to the cloud so they exist somewhere else. because. That's when your phone has a problem and then you don't even have the pictures. But you have to think, okay, how can the insurance company pay me the easiest? Well, I don't, I don't want to fight them to convince them I had the big screen TV and the new toaster oven. You have to have pictures yep. of it. If you can show them that you have those things, you're going to be ahead of the people that are going, well, let me find that. You know, it's like, help yes. me help you. Make it easy for them by being organized. Read your insurance policy and see what you're even covered for. There might be a clause in there that says, if your house catches on fire in such and such a way, and I don't know that anything about fire. For me, it's more in, in a hurricane area. It will say you have, or, or in flooding area. This, when I mm-hmm. worked in, in Detroit, people's houses used to flood every year and they didn't have flood insurance, but they had fire insurance. So they would try to start a fire. They're that desperate to burn their house down because that's the only way they would get covered. And eventually an investigation finds out that that wasn't the cause of it. So you want to know what the exclusions are that the insurance company doesn't have to pay you for and, and find a way around that. Um, with hurricane, there's a higher deductible. You know, you want to make sure that you understand, read your insurance policy and, and know what's in it. Most people in Panama city and Mexico beach, the, a radio DJ Kramer, uh, the Kramer show there, he said, most people don't even know what's in their policy. It's just sitting in a safe. Th- that's very true.
0: And I'm, mean, you know, if you're not going to read it, it, ask your insurance adjuster Ask the person who's who you're signing with what's in there because i've done i've gone through it with my um agent and she's very good about pointing out what everything means so i i do ask every every year so okay how am i insured what am i insured for another thing i mean the reason i took pictures and put them on the cloud that's a very good point put them on the cloud the reason i did that was until i can write an inventory you know if you you should in anything of value in your house as well right have a written record
1: but most people don't do it because they yeah. don't think that something's going to happen to them so you go i'll do it eventually and you know when i was making the film i'll be honest with you up until that point i didn't have pictures of everything in my house and then it took me another six months and i'm going all right you know what i'm going to look like an idiot if the news media Eventually says to me, George, did you have this stuff? Do you know what's in your insurance policy? Do you have, you know, did you inventory everything? So I went and did it, but it's that feeling that we have of we're involved. We're not, nothing's going to happen to us. It's not going to happen to me. And eventually it does. And then you're not prepared. You know, do you have a generator? Do you have backup water and food supplies? Most people don't think about it. And then you see the pictures of everybody at the supermarket at the last minute trying to get those things. And th- that's not the time to do it. W- one of the best lines in our film is uh, the, the fire expert, Bobby Milstein, in, in, that we interviewed in California says, nobody wakes up the day of the fire to make their plan. It has to have been long before then. Right, Because right. you can't think in that moment, you, in, in, unless you're, a, there's, there's some people that can, but 99% of us will panic in a time of disaster and you're just, you, you freeze up. You have to have a plan and you have to know it, and then you have to follow it. You don't make the plan that day, and that's another thing people do wrong.
0: Oh, that completely makes sense. I mean, you don't just freeze up. You go into shock. I mean, I could yeah. feel it when, just, just from the smoke. I mean, we were literally, we couldn't see across the street. There was so much smoke from the fire, and you could feel, you know, that, um, that kind of, sh- your mind not working anymore. Your mind is starting to shut down because it, it gets overloaded. So, yeah, that is not the time to try and make plans of what you're going to do. do. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work at all. No,
1: and you, and you see the look in the eyes of the people that you interview, and it, it, it's, a, it's very hard to explain that look. It's that you're shocked. I, I interviewed a woman in Moore, Oklahoma um, in 1998, and all that was left on her slab of her house where it used to be was a bathtub and a mattress, and everything else was gone. She held the mattress over her to survive the tornado, that, that would have blown her away with everything else. And you just have that blank look in your eyes because it's like, it's that dazed I, I don't believe what just happened. Look. Um, and it's very sad to see that because, you know, anytime there's a disaster like that, it's just awful to see what the, um, what the consequences are on people. It's very, it's shocking.
0: Yeah, it is. And we all feel a little of that in the last nine months, I think, because, uh, uh, you know, I don't feel the sense of security that I had nine months ago at any time right now, um, just because of what the country's going through. Even though it's not really a concern so much, you know, where I am and with the precautions I'm taking, but uh, definitely have less of a feeling of security than I had than I did before uh, COVID hit. So it's it's kind of an eye opener. As f- I it, it kind of relates, I think to. We're not, you know, things aren't always as secure as we think they are. We're we're kind of in a we get we get lulled to sleep thinking that nothing could go wrong.
1: Well, it was an interesting storm season with factoring covid in because where do they evacuate people to to shelters where there's large groups of people? And if you think about it what this year I think should emphasize to people more than anything is why you want your main base to be as safe as possible. Because once you have to leave there to go someplace else, then things are really out of your hands. And especially in the time of a pandemic, you know, you're already going to be uprooted facing the potential of losing your house. And now you're thrown into a large area with lots of other people that you don't know what, you know, what their exposure has been. And it just amplifies it and makes it so much worse. So then people are afraid to go to the shelter. So then maybe they stay in a house that's not even safe. And the whole thing just kind of snowballs out of control. And and to me, it drives home more than anything, why we all need to take that step to beef up where we live and make sure it's as safe as possible.
0: Yeah, that it, it totally makes sense to me. And I'm going to have to uh, watch the film and, and do more at my own place. But yeah, I think... Uh, this is a pretty good spot to wrap it up. You have, I mean, it's been fantastic having you on the show and I uh, really appreciate uh, you doing this work. And you put it, I know how much work it is to do a documentary. Um, I know how much work it is to do any film, but it seems like documentary filmmaking is usually a smaller budget and it's, it's a lot of work. So I really appreciate you doing this.
1: Well, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you for the kind words. Tell people, you know, if you can put it up, the lastoutstanding.org. And it's the thelasthousestanding.org. And we have a resources page on there where people can go and you can find out if your house is in a flood area. You can learn about resilient building. You can learn about um, all the different things you need to know from different websites that we've put on there to make it easy for people. You can watch the film. We have some cool last, the, the Last House Standing gear. You can get a hat or a t-shirt or a mug. And as a nonprofit film company, that's what keeps us going. And what we are committed to is money we can make from the film. We're putting into marketing the film so more people see it. So I really hope people will watch. Let me know what you think. Um, We're always open to suggestions and ideas. But I think the most important thing is that people see it and do something about it.
0: Absolutely, and yeah, it'll be in the show notes, as many links as I can put, uh, you know, put around it, as as much information as I can put there. The Last House Standing, you've been listening to, were you still talking? This is Joel Aubrick, and I've been talking to George Siegel, the producer, writer, uh, uh, probably cameraman sometimes, all around. of The Last Outstanding and other documentary films as well. So go to the website, check it out. There's a lot of amazing info in this, in this episode. Thank you so much for being on and uh, be good to each other. And as I am saying now, even more appropriate for this podcast, be good to yourself.